Okay, hello everybody. Hope you're well. Uh, today on the show we've got Belinda Palmer. Belinda is an OBE. Uh, she's also a force to be reckoned with. She is the founder of Lady Geek, which campaigns to get more girls into technology. She's also the founder and CEO of the Empathy Business, which does what it says on the tin. It, it works to build more empathy into businesses. Um, each year, the Empathy Business released the annual Global Empathy Index, which looks at companies across the UK and globally, in fact, um, looking at their levels of empathy and how that ties in with their commercial value. Um, today, we chat about authenticity in the workplace. So, you know, do you leave your personality at the door when you get into work? What can businesses be doing um, to, to change that? Uh, and build empathy with their workplace and their staff, but also with their customers as well. And we talk a little bit about nudges to improve empathy at a personal level, but also if you're looking to grow your business, um, small things you can be doing that could be making a big difference. So enjoy the show. And if you want to find out more about Belinda, you can find her on Twitter at Belinda Palmer. So, thanks for coming in, Belinda. Pleasure. Nice to see you. Um, where should we start? I suppose it'd be great to hear from you as an expert in empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, what does empathy actually mean? The way I define empathy at the empathy business is about understanding your impact on other people. So, whereas emotional intelligence is often introverted and looking inside... Um, Empathy is about understanding how you make people feel on an individual level, but more importantly, and what I look at is on a company level. Mm -hmm. As a big business, how do you create environments where empathic people can thrive and flourish? Because what we know in large companies, and a lot of companies, is even though we are naturally wired for empathy, often the environments in which we're in are not empathic, and therefore that creates a tension between our authentic selves and the the self that we believe we have to be at work. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you do a lot of work with big businesses, advising them on how to be more empathic. Can you talk about any of the projects that you've worked on recently to provide some examples of the work that you've done with them? Because one of the questions that I'm intrigued to hear is how do you measure empathy? So the way we measure, empathy is relatively easy to measure if you measure what matters. So we break down empathy, we've got a model that we use called Embrace, um, and, and things like empowerment, meaning, belonging, reassurance, authenticity, collaboration and ethics. These are the things that the most empathic companies have. Um, And what we do is we measure against that. So how, how much of yourself can you bring to work, for example, is authenticity? How much do the company values align with your own values, values, which is meaning? 
ethics? Do you feel that the, a lot of the work, a lot of the discussions go behind closed doors in a company? So we break down empathy into these seven factors and then we measure companies against it and we have specific metrics. Mm-hmm. And they're not the usual kind of boring corporate metrics. One of the most interesting metrics we've found is things like the level of blind copy, so BCC on an email, is an indicator of how disempowered a culture is. Interesting. So things like BCC are really important. Also the number of people that go to meetings often says something about a culture. So when there's so many people at meetings, people rarely get to have their voice. The number of, um, the number of minutes that the more senior people speak versus the, most ju- the more junior people speak. So what we have is this model, and then underneath that we have all these interesting metrics that actually really quite clearly tell you, do people feel empowered? Is this a culture of empathy? And actually, where's the biggest problem? So Amazon, for example, they, their empathy deficit is not with customers, because actually customers love them. What we found in 2015 was the empathy deficit for Amazon is internal. Mm. And that's before all the stuff that came out about their unempathic culture. Mm-hmm. Um, John Lewis, so in the UK, it's seen as an incredibly empathic business, but their empathy deficit was on social media and their public channels. So they were only responding to positive tweets. Mm-hmm. They've since changed that. Um, so what's really important when you look across a company is where is the empathy deficit? It might be it might be in the ethics of the company. One of the things we look at is the number of women on boards. We've also added a carbon metric. So the airlines and the oil companies score particularly badly. So I think the key point is to look across the business and look at where are we strong, where are we really good, where are we not so good, and where do we need need to focus our time, effort, and money. Mm-hmm. That kind of leads quite nicely to another question I had, which is when you're looking at um, and assessing the empathy index for companies, are you viewing empathy towards customers? Are you viewing empathy towards staff? Are you viewing empathy towards shareholders? Because presumably there's some conflicting um, objectives within that. You know, you might say, well, we need to be empathic towards um, shareholders for this reason, but actually that has a uh, is challenging in, in terms of what that means for our empathy towards our customers. I think you make a brilliant point and I think in the age of social media and the increase of millennials in the workforce that you can't just look at empathy in one channel. So we do look at it across customers, um, customers, um, staff and also on social media. We don't look at shareholders yet but that will be something we'll be exploring in 2017 because the problem is it's very hard to be empathic as a business when you've got short term delivery to shareholders. And if shareholders are putting pressure on you, suddenly it becomes a lot harder to be empathic. So it's very, very important that it becomes a way of being. You know, being. You know, it's very easy as an individual to be empathic when you like someone, or if you if you've got a connection, if you share something. It's very difficult to be empathic as an individual when you don't 
like someone or you've got an extremely conflict situation and it's the same in business when your business is growing the leadership's solid or it's, it's actually you can deliver a lot of empathy but actually where empathy is tested and what i believe is the most interesting area is empathy and conflict when you've got a business so just working for a big bank you know complaints are high where you've got a business that is is at an inflection point that's when you really need to start re-looking across the business and saying, right, are we an empathic business? Is this who we want to be? Is this where we should be in the future? Mm-hmm. Okay. So according to your um, index, can you give us one or two examples of brands that have performed very well on that index that people may not have expected to see in that position? Well, the FTSE 100 um, does terribly. So UK companies are emotionally constipated, (laughs) not thinking about empathy, and to your point, are thinking about short-term delivery to shareholders. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's for a lot of different reasons, partly to do with British culture, partly to do with growth rates and the economy. Um, However, the, the actual most empathic companies are the Silicon Valley companies. So LinkedIn, Microsoft... Google, we are seeing very much more empathy in their internal culture. Now, this is internal. Now, the reason we're seeing that is they invest so heavily. So Salesforce is a great example. They have just appointed a chief equality officer. I wish they called it chief empathy officer, but nonetheless, I'm still very happy that um, companies are start thinking about this at a very senior level. And the thing about Silicon Valley um, and tech companies is that they invest in their company culture. Right from you can organise childcare, they organise your childcare for you if you can't find a babysitter. They, um, you know, they they will even freeze your eggs if you're a woman of a certain age. So culture is king. Mm-hmm. So the Silicon Valley companies are doing really well. They get it. Even companies like Ryanair. So I, I want to talk a little bit about Ryanair because, mm-hmm. you know, Michael O'Leary is famous for saying, um, you know, famous for being rude about customers. And interestingly, interestingly with Ryanair in 2013, they saw their profits drop. Um, and that was the first time ever they'd had a a decrease in profits. Um, And what they did since then is they brought some empathy into the product mix. Mm -hmm. So what they got rid of the unallocated seating, they um, increased the carry-on baggage allowance, and they even got their cabin crew to smile occasionally. Um, And they labelled this as the always getting better programme. So what they saw was an increase in profits in 2015. Now, obviously, it's not just down to the oil price is a significant factor within that. But Michael O'Leary said, if I'd known being nicer to customers was going to work so well, I would have started many years ago. So the point I'm making is even the most unempathic businesses can get better at this. And the the, the, um, correlation between higher growth, higher productivity is very, very clear. Okay, that again leads nicely on to the next question. So your it sounds like your index has proven that increased empathy boosts productivity or profitability. Is that correct? Absolutely. And how and why does it do that, do you think? So absolutely. I mean, if you just think about it, if people are happier... 
if people have better mental performance at work, they're going to deliver more to the company. It's the same, you know, with any relationship. If you're happy, you feel good, you feel valued, you feel you can be yourself, then you will deliver more to the company. And what we've specifically looked at is the top 10 companies in the index who do brilliantly and the bottom 10 who do really badly. And we've looked at growth rates across those. And if you look at market cap, the top 10 companies increased in value twice as much as the bottom 10. But then what's even more interesting interesting is when you go into a company and you start looking at, right, where, what departments, what areas of our business have high empathy and how do you correlate that to attrition, to performance? Um, and then you start to see really, and sickness. Mm-hmm. What you see is you see um, departments with low levels of empathy. People are sick more, which costs the business a fortune. They, they also get poached. They're not loyal to the company. So you see the ripple effects of an unempathic company. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not causal. At the moment, we have correlation data. We don't have causal data. Mm-hmm. But that's what we'll be working on in the next year. Okay, so do you think that empathy can be taught how how can an organization start to introduce empathy presumably it has to come from the leadership leadership is key leadership is absolutely key and a lot of it is about self-awareness um so empathy can be taught and that's one of the myths around empathy that people think you're born with a certain amount of empathy and the reality is the amount of empathy you're born with does not correlate to the amount of empathy you end up with. I mean, my daughter, she is naturally more empathic. So there are more empathic people. Um, and my son is possibly less empathic. Mm. <laughs> you know? Is this... Is this uh, I know you guys have done some work with um, Professor Simon Baron-Cohen. So is this looking at his empathiser-systemizer scale? Yes, exactly. And... Um, so, so there is a natural tendency for empathy. You know, if I walk in the door in my home, my, my daughter will say, oh, you know, how was your day, mummy? And my son will say, where's my iPad? <laughs> you know, so his natural instinct is to, you know, think about himself. Yeah. And my, na- my daughter's natural instinct is to think about her impact, going back to the definition in your first question, is understanding your impact on other people. So there is definite amounts of natural empathy, but if you do, if you look at um, practices and start thinking about empathy in a slightly different way, you can be more. You you can actually within six weeks, you will notice the difference. And a lot of that is to do with um, one is self awareness, two is also language. So language is incredibly key in terms of empathy. So even having, you know, there was one FTSE 100 company who changed a job title. So in the tech industry, you know, everywhere I go, there's job ads for rock stars and ninjas. And, you know, that when I grew up as a, as a girl, you know, I didn't grow up thinking I wanted to be a ninja. You know, maybe that's where I went wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> the fact is, you know, empathy in language is so, so important in terms of, Um, the impact that you're having on that person and a FTSE 100 company in a job ad they change the um, title of the job role from technology manager to digital manager 
when they increase the number of women that applied by 30%. So the second thing is to really start thinking about your language. Um, and, you know, there's, there's words in business that are branded around all the time, like um, head office. You know, you've got head office, and if you've got a retail branch, it can be often, um, you know, it feels very inferior to that. So, for example, when you say we're from head office and you're speaking to the retail team who work in branches or in stores, whether you're a Samsung or a bank, um, it can feel very um, superior because head, for example, means, you know, at the top of the tree. So things about thinking about the roles of your different teams and the job titles, you know, you can't underestimate actually how important empathy is in language. It makes such a difference. Mm. That's really interesting um, examples. In terms of the, the, uh, the mix between men and women and this... I mean, I don't, I don't think it's just a, a, a conceived idea. It, it is the case generally, certainly according to Simon Baron Cohen, that more women fall into the empathiser group and more men fall into the systemizer group. Do you think there's um, an argument for, I guess, selection bias to ensure that there is balanced groups within businesses um, to even out the empathy balance or do you think actually even if it is a team of men that business has the potential to be as empathic as a team of women so great question I think the first thing is that um, gender is misleading so yes there is a there is statistically more women who are empathizers but actually it can be misleading hence why we changed the name of my business from lady geek which mm-hmm. is about women in tech to the empathy business which is more general mm-hmm. so um the second thing is there's a lot of um, fear when you talk about gender um you know ceos that i know they say things like i just don't have the language to talk about gender when you talk about empathy, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm so empathic. Let's talk about empathy. You know, so it changes the conversation. But more importantly, I don't think it's about individuals. It is a bit about a process. It is about a company culture that behaves in a certain way. So you could be incredibly empathic, but you walk into that um, organisation, and I, I cannot tell you the amount of times that people say, I leave my personality at the door, I go in, do my job, walk out and pick it up. So you cannot be your authentic self. So however empathic you are, it is less important. It is less important than the actual organisation. Because the organisation, the processes, the products, I've mentioned Ryanair, how empathic is your product, how empathic is your process, how empathic is your leadership... Those are the things that will allow you to be your authentic and empathic self. Mm. And that is key. Don't focus on the individual. Focus on the system, the organisation, the company culture, the leadership, because that's where you'll see the biggest results. Mm -hmm. Are there any industries that you think are really need to kick up the backside to sort themselves out? Technology seems an obvious one, but, but from what I see and hear, actually they are making real strides I mean, I know to say technology is a huge, broad industry, but um, is there anywhere else that you, you see you think actually this this area as a whole needs a lot of work? Um, well, I think 
Well, for, for example, so, yeah. so the other day I was having a chat with my team and two of the girls were saying that we were having a conversation about sport and they were saying how they still feel like the point started basically because they, they were saying it seems that all of their male friends do sports at the weekend and all of their female friends just do fitness so they go to the gym, they try to stay fit, but they're not involved and active in sport anymore. And they said things like, you know, when they go to the park and they see a group of um, people playing sport, that they are almost intimidated to go near it because they feel that that's the guy's space. Mm-hmm. And this was like a revelation to me. I, I just, I couldn't believe it, that it was still at that level. Um, and uh, just got me thinking that actually sport is... is is one of these industries that we seem to think, okay, there's great work happening, but actually it needs a lot of work in terms of balancing out male and female um, inequality. For example, if you if you look at um, pay gaps in you know, world-famous athletes between men and women, it's huge. I think the only example that I heard recently um, where... There was a woman heading the bill that was getting paid at an equal pay rate to the guys was in the UFC, so the Ultimate Fighting Championships. And there's a, there's a woman there that you should try and connect with called Ronda Rousey. So she's a she's an incredible mixed martial artist in the US, and she's got girls out there who are worshiping her you know, from a very young age. Um, and they've the UFC have set the business up so that women are paid exactly the same pay scale as men and their last fight she was the headline act of the night rather than the guys Mm. Um, and it seems to me like sport is actually an area that really needs some work as well Absolutely. So I think the male-dominated areas, I, I think I think we need to be clear that, you know, I don't think men wake up and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to be a chauvinist pig today and I'm going to pay my women less. You know, I, I don't think it's it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. So so it, it, it isn't overt and it's often very subtle. And, and the biggest difference, so with male CEOs, there's a study done in Denmark um, the biggest differentiator is whether a, a male um, CEO promotes women. Can you guess what that is? Sorry, promotes women. In his team. What, what, what do you think is the biggest um, factor that determines whether a CEO promotes women in his top team? Whether he does promote them? Mm. Well, I think it should be performance and delivery. But what do you think it actually is? Uh I don't know. I don't know. Having a daughter, an eldest daughter. So actually what they found was that male CEOs with um, an eldest daughter were much more likely to promote women into their top team. Now the eldest daughter... That's crazy. The eldest daughter, and this this didn't apply to me because I'm the second child, the eldest daughter is the one that you put more ambitions, more hopes, Mm. more dreams on. So as soon as, it doesn't matter whether you have a wife, it doesn't matter whether you have a partner, it's the eldest daughter. 
So my point is, whether it's sport, whether it's technology, gender and equality is very complicated because we've had the stats, we've had the, you know, the commercial opportunity of women. It doesn't work. These very rational arguments, and I think the thing about empathy is we want to connect with people on a much more emotional level. We don't know why we do things. Most of the things we do, we justify with very rational things. And if you think about mental performance, it's all about emotions. It's all about connecting with people on an emotional level. And I think that's what we need to get into companies, is that actually when you connect with your customers, when you connect with your internal um, teams on a much more meaningful and emotional way, that's when you start to see things change. Mm. Okay, great. It's just where of time. Yep. Two or three, um, I suppose, more quick fire. What can we pull out? If you were to, at personal level, is there anything you do to build your empathy? Well, I, I would say that I'm definitely work in progress. So I think I can be naturally very unempathic, and also I'm very, very direct. Um, so, but, but that that doesn't necessarily go against being empathic. No, I think empathy isn't about people pleasing. You know, it isn't about you know us sitting, holding hands, singing kumbaya, and you know. And I think when you think about mental performance, it's very much about very hard actually and that's what I think about you know it's about improvement it's about targets it's about progression mm -hmm. and and for me this is about progression not perfection so I look at it in terms of empathy nudges so the things we work with clients on are very small things most things you do to change yourself or your um, company don't work 70% of change programs in large organizations fail Mm -hmm. You just need to look at the NHS and the IT systems and, you know, big projects fail. Mm -hmm. The real secret, I believe, is in trying to shift your behaviour, what we behavior economics calls nudges, to shift your behaviour so small, so tiny, that actually you don't even notice. Yeah. And that is where I think it could be a change in a word, it could be a change in a process. Um, one of the things we've implemented with clients is stand-up meetings, 15-minute stand-up meetings. It makes a massive difference because they, they weren't preparing for any of their meetings. They were running from meeting to meeting to meeting. So just the fact of having 15-minute stand-up, which costs the company nothing, has changed the way they run their meetings. Mm -hmm. Other examples we've done for clients um, is change a lot of the signage you know, when you walk into a car dealership, changing the signage. One of the really interesting things for a car client we found is when, when you wear a tie, if you're a car salesman, um, it actually can be quite intimidating. Mm. Um, because when you wear a tie, as, as a, in, it says you're going to sell me something. That was the perceived symbolism. So in terms of thinking about your business, thinking about yourself, no small detail is insignificant. And the aggregation of the empathy nudges is what can really, really transform culture. And that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about how you do things at low cost, in at scale, that really just send sim symbols and signals to the world that actually we really do care about you. Mm -hmm. So if there are entrepreneurs or CEOs or leaders of businesses or organisations listening, 
if there was one nudge that you would recommend everybody gets to work on putting into place um, over the next week, what would it be? I would say look at your last 10 emails and look at how you communicate. What are the language, what are the words that you're using? How are you talking about your customers? Are you talking about them as users? You know, even the word user is so um, clinical and cold. Take your last 10 emails and, and, and look at them. Look at how you're addressing people. Look at how you're inviting. So, so number one, look at your last 10 emails. Number two, I'd like you to record the amount of time you speak in meetings versus other people. Now, I did actually record this. And I found out that I spoke the most in a meeting. And I came off the call and I was absolutely sure that I gave everyone a chance to talk. And then basically, I got the data back and it said that I'd spoken for 23 minutes in total. Now that was... On a call of how long? <laughs> 23 minutes, no. <laughs> it's called a monologue. No, an hour, but everyone else had spoken a lot less. So I would actually, because there's so much software now on the next conference call, is record the amount of time. And the other thing I would do is record your body language and observe, because that often will give you so much information. So get the data. And also, ask your IT people to look at the number of BCCs and CCs sent in the company, because these are the metrics that will really determine whether your culture is empathic or not. Okay. And if there was one thing that you think is going to deliver the best return on investment for a business if they implemented this one empathic change? I think it's not, there is no, everybody wants empathy in a box. Mm. Every, everyone wants a, a one solution. There isn't. You know, if there was, I'd either be very rich or a charlatan, and I'm not either of those things. So there is no one thing. It's a lot of little things, but mm. start with yourself. Start talking about it. Start talking about it. Ask people how empathic you are. Do you create cultures where people feel empowered? So my first thing would be to start looking at yourself. Really look at yourself. Okay, great. That was brilliant. If people want to find you online or look up and hear a bit more about your business, where should we find the business and how can people follow you online? Okay, so theempathybusiness.com, at Belinda Palmer, P-A-R-M-A-R, and at theempathybiz, B-I-Z. Thank you so much. Right. Hello again, people. Um, thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, thank you also to our main sponsor, Vivid Matcha. <laughs> if you've got any questions for us, feel free to to contact us. You can check out our website. It's vividmatcher.com. We're on Instagram at vividmatcher or on Twitter at vividdrinks. That one's different because the guys over there can't work out how to give us access to our account. Um, if you've got any suggestions of people you'd like us to talk to uh, or if you'd like to chat to us yourself, of course, get in touch um, Again, hope you enjoyed it and uh, we'll see you soon.